Welcome to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. If you're ready for inspiration and tips to improve your life, hear what some of the fascinating minds of today have to say. Our hope is that you'll live your passion and inspire the world. And now, here is your host, Allison H. Larson. Good morning, everybody. I'm really excited to be here today on the show. And uh, I'm always excited for the shows, particularly excited for the show today. It's one that um, I feel really strongly about. It's really interesting. Last night, um, I was having a rough night. I decided to take a bath and watch this show called The Goop Project. And it's with, oh my gosh, what's her name? She's Iron Man's girlfriend. What's the actress's name? Gwyneth Paltrow. What? Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. So with Gwyneth Paltrow, and it was a show on um, with a lady who helps women be able to embrace their body and let go of sexual shame. And she has them do mirror exercises where they're looking at uh, different parts of their body and, and they're all in a group naked and they're celebrating each other. And I thought it was so beautiful. I was listening to the comments of, of the people and the women and, and then I thought, you know, this isn't only women that deal with sexual shame. There's a lot of other people. And one of the ladies that they interviewed on the Scoop Project who had gone through there, she said, hey, I grew up in this culture and this society where we didn't even talk about sex, where I felt a lot of shame around sex and sexuality. And you kind of followed her through this healing journey throughout, throughout this episode of the Goop Project. And one of the things that the sex expert they had on set is she said, there is no culture that really teaches people to embrace sexuality. And she said, it's more common than you think for people to experience sexual shame. Well, here's the problem though, when we experience sexual shame, uh, a lot of times shame is the thing that makes us feel bad, feel bad about ourselves, feel bad about who we are, feel bad about experiencing pleasure. And I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over and over again that people who are experiencing sexual shame struggle with relationship issues. They struggle with self-esteem issues. It affects their work. It affects their personal life. It affects so many different areas of their life. So I really wanted just to have an open discussion about this today here on the radio show. And of course, we're live on Facebook and a couple of different places at Voice America. I've got my wonderful Voice America team um, that we're, we're, we're going live through Voice America on the spotlight, the Allison H. Larson show. And just really wanted to have that intention that this show will reach people that might be struggling with, with shame. And when I thought about doing this show, I, I, one person's name came to my mind and that was, I was Tony and Tony Listler is amazing at helping people release shame. But not only that, he also experienced a lot of shame around his sexuality. And I think that it's really important to address that both men and women can deal with this. So Tony, welcome to the show. I know you've got um, a list of accolades about a mile long. Tony's a wonderful business coach and mentor as well. He's coached some of the top uh, business leaders in the nation. He's been in the self-help and development industry for over 10 years. Uh, Before that, he was a, a top seminar leader in real estate and I'm really glad to have you here, Tony. Is there anything that you feel like it's important for our audience to know about you before we get started? Yeah, look, I'm in a, I'm, I don't know that I'm the most sexually liberated person on the planet, but I really have done a tremendous amount of work on shame, and uh, I am, I'm, I'm good at talking about it. Um, I was raised in a pretty repressive fundamentalist religion that shamed um, not just sex, it pretty much shamed anything that I seemed to like. 
So I've had this um, this this beautiful lifetime of unraveling layers and layers and layers of a shame-based identity to eventually getting to a place where I really genuinely like myself in a in a healthy sort of like moderately ego-driven way. Um, <laughs> so it's not like a, a, a super ego. I love myself. I'm so amazing. But um, but I've done a tremendous amount of work. I mean, like thousands and thousands of hours of work with people in processing their shame. And I ran a uh, pornography addiction recovery program for over a decade, an online anonymous program. And so I had people from, uh, there was, at one point I counted 35 countries that were in this program, men and women from all over the world. And this conversation of shame around sex was was um, was really fundamental. And in order for someone to, to heal from a compulsive behavior, the very first thing we addressed was shame. So I have a lot of experience in that area. And I also am a human being and I deal with my own, you know, like complex upbringing. So I don't want to like pretend wow. to have a... Yeah, that, that's crazy. You know, you said uh, <laughs> compulsive behavior comes from shame. I was actually diagnosed with a, a, an official obsessive compulsive disorder when I was was um, a teenager. And it's interesting. I have one more guest joining uh, with us for the first part of the show today. Um, it's Gerald Rogers. Gerald is... The, the Gerald Rogers. <laughs> Gerald Rogers is uh, somebody who is my life partner right now. And and he and I have a lot like of- how you said right now. Well, <laughs> he's my life partner. And- Yesterday I made her really mad. So she- <laughs> I wasn't mad. I was not mad. I just felt a lot of sexual shame. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't feel sexual shame, but <laughs> actually the opposite. I felt sexually liberated yesterday during makeup sex. But anyway, back to the <laughs> back to the back to the the topic at hand. Gerald's uh, Gerald's my life partner. Um, <laughs> we also grew up. And we we all all three of us, Tony, Gerald, and I share a, a similarities as far as. Um, you know, feeling like we couldn't really express ourselves sexually um, in our marriages, uh, in um, our lives growing up. And we kind of all went through this process to be able to release the sexual shame. And I, I wanted to, to begin by Tony having you define shame. And then I would love to have Gerald uh, share his story and then you share your story on what, uh, where, where you really felt sexual shame and, and where you felt like that came from. So, uh, Tony, let's start out with defining shame. How would you define shame? Yeah, I think shame is this is, is when someone develops an I am statement that says, uh, you know, like, like they'll do a behavior, they'll act a certain way, or they'll, they'll, they'll be a certain way. And then they'll, they'll develop an I am statement that says, I am unworthy or I am unlovable or I am a sinner or I am dark or I am a failure or I, you know, I don't measure up, but it comes to this, I am statement. That's a debilitating. I am statement because it's not about behavior, right? If we're having a conversation about behavior, we could go, Oh, you know, I, I got really drunk last night and now I have a hangover. And so there's this natural consequence to this hangover to, to what I, all the alcohol I poured down my, my body and, and I can modify that behavior to have a better outcome. Or I can say, you know, I worked out a half an hour ago and now I feel better about myself. Those are behavior-based conversations. But when we develop an I am statement, it becomes really debilitating because we can't really modify the I am statement with behavior. Because we don't say I did something. Like the healthy thing to do, if we do something shameful or, or you know, like in terms of, of our sexuality, if we act in a way sexually where afterwards we feel remorse or we feel some disconnect with ourselves. we don't feel in alignment 
with ourselves, we feel some sort of a regret, then we can modify behavior. And we can go, oh, you know, I, I acted this way sexually. And then afterwards, I felt kind of hollow, or I didn't really feel connected to myself, or I feel like regretful. I can modify behavior, and then I can feel better. But if I develop an I am statement, then it doesn't really matter what modifications I make. It still comes back to that conclusion of yeah. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. It becomes part of who you are for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Gerald, do you have anything uh, that you would add to definition of shame? Um, yeah. So I, I, just along with Tony said, you know, like, like uh, guilt is when we say I, um, I made a mistake. Shame is when we say I am a mistake. And for me, I know that for the years that I, I carried shame around my pornography addiction or around just my sexual desires or around these other things that I didn't want other people to know about, it was like this, this war inside of myself where I, I couldn't accept parts of me that would act that way. And so I, would, I, I almost felt like this Jekyll and Hyde character, you know, mm -hmm. like, like there was this part of me that was so good and so like um so powerful and so so amazing but then there was this other part of me that I didn't want the rest of the world to know because I thought that part of me was wrong and bad and evil and we grew up in a culture where it's all about worthiness you know you have to be worthy to be able to do these certain things within this church and and worthy is just defined by you have to follow these specific rules. And if you follow these specific rules, then all of a sudden you are, um, you know, you're, you're good enough to be able to do certain things. And, and um, in that space, anytime I would not follow those rules, then all of a sudden I had somehow this belief that God disapproved of who I was as a human being. Like I was not acceptable to God because of those things. And that's for me where the root of shame was. Well, and it's so amazing because you have taught me, Gerald has, has been leading seminars for over a decade now. He's helped tens of thousands of people be able to reclaim their lives and, and uh, live, live in a way that uh, they, they can release shame. But I know before that all happened and even during part of it, you had experienced a lot of shame. Could you take us a little bit through um, what were some of the things that, that caused your sexual shame? I know you mentioned pornography before. Um, what, what was it in your life that caused you to feel shame around sex um, previously? And then how did you get over that? And then Tony, I'm going to ask you the same question as well. So just growing up in a heavily religious culture, I know it's not unique to Mormonism. I know that there's other cultures that experience it too. But for me, like I was ingrained with this thought, you know, from the time that I was young that um, sexuality was, there was something wrong with being expressed sexually, you know? Um, and then especially, I don't know, I, like it, it first came through by my parents refusing to talk about it. Like it was just something you do not say the word sex. Like that is like, it's like a swear word. And, um, and so that was unconsciously communicated to us as children. It's just like, a, right. And, and, and so the thought of actually having sexual desires is like, <gasps> right. And so I remember being, being like this teenage boy and just like having like these, 
feelings and being like super horny, but feeling like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. I literally <laughs> thought something was wrong with me. And I remember the first time, like it was, for, every boy remembers the first time. But for me, it was like, there was a comic book, you know, with like these super sexy, like, you know, scantily clad women. And, and I was laying down looking at it all of a sudden, like I, like, like I, I had a, an erection and all of a sudden like I, I came all over. I was like, what happened? Right. It was like this, this like terrifying thing that I couldn't talk about to anyone. Like some, like my, my, like this stuff just like erupt and it felt so good. And I was like, what is going on? And I thought something was wrong with me and I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And then I was like, I need another comic book. Right. And so there was this, like, there was this time where I was like trying to, understand what was going on in my body but i couldn't tell anyone about it and i remember uh, it was like 14 or 15 and i went into the do- a doctor and he was like doing you know just just general stuff and he asked me this question he's like so so do you ever masturbate i'm like right i can't believe like i didn't even know what that meant but i knew it sounded wrong and so like <laughs> no and I've been doing it for years, but I didn't have a name for it, right? Because I couldn't talk to anyone about this. It's funny. This is the first time I've ever like told these stories, especially you know on on air. But 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 it was interesting for me because then I then I grew up, and then and then the World Wide Web opened up all these infinite possibilities for my fantasies to be. Um, and and then I was in this situation where you know, the church kept projecting this message that, you know, like avoid pornography, like the plague. But the message I heard was, if you look at pornography, you have the plague. Like there's something so deeply wrong. And so I I just played this game of like wearing this mask and pretending that it didn't affect me. But meanwhile, it was like this war that I had going on inside of me where I'd be like, I'd be like, no, I'd make these radical commitments. Like this is how addiction cycle works. You make this radical commitment. I'm never going to look at porn again in my life. And I'd make this pledge and normally it would come on either my birthday or New Year's or or after I'd, I'd acted out or whatever, and I make this impossible pledge. And then, then I'd find myself, you know, in the basement, in the middle of work, feeling stressed, feeling exhausted, feeling, um, feeling, you know, like just low on energy. And this ad would pop up for Victoria's Secrets or something. I'd be like, oh, right. And then I'd like, and I could find my way through any porn filter. Like I, I hacked the system. Like it didn't matter like what sort of filter we had. Like I, I like, like I would find a way to, to get that need met. And then I would feel so bad that I would like punish myself for it. Like sometimes I'd like stick my hands in her scalding hot water. It's like, Oh, this is what you get. Or sometimes I'd be like, I I'd, I'd do like really intense things. Sometimes I'd fast for days as a way to like, demonstrate that I was powerful enough. And then sure enough, like I'd go to church and I had church leadership responsibilities. And then the lesson would be on pornography. And so I'd be preaching to all these other men about how you should never, ever look at porn. If you do, you're a sinner. <laughs> and I, there was like this complete inauthenticity within me and, and this fear that no one could find out, especially not my wife, because I had tried telling her once and she, she carried that over my head for a decade, right? So she couldn't know. I couldn't talk to anyone. Like there was, this, there was this deep sense of isolation in my shame, a deep sense that 
that if anyone knew about this, they would know that I was a bad person. And <laughs> you know, what's interesting in this is it, it doesn't matter the level of whatever the acting out was like, it could be looking at porn. It could be, you know, using Tinder. It could be just, you know, whatever the, the thing is, there's this, there's this really common theme of shame and the shame has this cycle to it. Right. So someone acts out to try to get a need met and then they develop this, I am statement that says I'm bad. Then they go to the next phase of the shame cycle, which is the control phase. And they try to over control. They try to overdo. They try to make up for whatever behavior they did, which then leads to an imbalance. And in that imbalanced state, because it's a form of punishment, the control is a form of punishment. And so in the imbalanced state, we develop this like this, this like craving to then have some sort of release because there's so much imbalance. And our brain will then look for ways that we developed a release in the past, right? Whatever that was, whether it's acting out for food or acting out for sex or acting out with anger or whatever it is. And so we start to have this, this building pressure and this craving where our brain goes, wow, things are really out of balance. We're, we need to get things back in order. We better get them to act out this way again. And then and the, the brain studies I've read say that our brain will actually, the frontal cortex of our brain will actually shut down and we'll act out like an animal. So then we do it again. And then we start the shame cycle again, over and over and over. And it's a debilitating cycle. Yeah, I did that and, for 15 years. Like it was that exact same cycle. Well, and, and, and the way out, I want to say this real quick, because I know we have to take a break in two minutes. But the way out of the shame cycle is in the moment of when we feel dark and wrong and bad and shameful and, and disgusted with ourselves. we've done it again. And, and we're in that hangover phase. We, instead of going into the control phase of the shame cycle, we go into a place of self-care. We actually look at saying, what do I really need in this space? Do I need rest? Do I need good food? Do I need healthy touch? Do I need to go into nature? Do I need to exercise? Do I need to move myself? Do I need to breathe? Like, what do I really need? And instead of punishing ourselves, we do self-care. And that breaks that shame cycle. Well, and thank you so much for sharing that, Tony and, and Gerald. And I know when we come, we have to go to a break here in just a moment. But when we come back, I would love to hear, Gerald, what in particular you did. And um, and also, Tony, hear, hear your story as well. As far as for me, you know, uh, I think this is more common with women than a lot of people think. I think a lot of times people think, well, it's just men that struggle with, with uh, you know, pornography or it's just men that feel like they can't control themselves. I think it's it's a lot that women feel that way as well. And some other ways that it shows up too for women, and I don't know if this is for men, but for me, for years, I thought I was deformed. I like Until I was in my mid-30s, I didn't know what a clitoris was. And I thought that that was a part of my body that was a mistake. I thought that there was somehow a deformity. And it was really interesting watching the Scoop Project show last night to hear how many women they did a they did a study and it was some something crazy like sixty percent of women it was through Harvard I'll have to look it up when they when they um, were asked thought that they were somehow physically deformed in that area of their body and it was just really interesting to me and it's because we don't talk about it and I think that's part of the shame too like Gerald said he felt like there was nobody he could talk to and he was wearing this mask because he had to be a certain way and nobody else must be struggling with this so. Um, I just want to say, like, thank you so much, um, Gerald, for sharing that and um, really looking forward to hearing your evolution in that journey, because I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate to it. When we come back, more from Gerald about his journey out of shame, 
more from Tony, uh, who is a shame expert on his journey and some more tools to be able to get out of that. I love what you've already shared about self-care, Tony. Um, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to the Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're tuned in to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. To find out more about Allison and our program, please visit soulintuition.com. Again, that's soulintuition.com. Now back to Spotlight. Here is Allison H. Larson. Welcome back to Spotlight. For those of you just joining us, today's show is all about sex and shame. Yes, we're having an open, a real, and a raw conversation. This is a conversation I feel really strongly needs to happen. And I'm so thankful to have shame expert Tony Lister here and also Gerald Rogers, who can has... A, can I be a shame expert too? I've, I've had a lot of practice with shame. You're, you're the sex expert. Okay, that's a good thing to be next to that too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but really, really glad to have them here. And, and for those of you who don't know, um, Gerald's my life partner. He's taught me a lot about um, how to really love my body and embrace who I am. And I'm really thankful for him. But he went through quite a journey um, before uh, we met each other and experienced a lot of shame in his life. And on the first segment, Gerald was sharing about his struggle with feeling shame around uh, pornography and, and his pornography addiction. And, and Gerald would love for you to continue that story. How were you able to step out of that shame and, and really embrace and love yourself for who you are in your sexuality? Well, I met this guy his name was Tony Litster. <laughs> um, so in all truth, like my world crumbled around me, you know, and, and I had to finally confront this shadow that I had been hiding in the basement for so long. 
And I realized that hiding those parts of me wasn't, wasn't going to work. And I remember going to some like porn addict addiction recovery, like courses. Oh my gosh. They were so bad. They were so bad. They were so bad because they just reinforced shame. They reinforced the wrongness. And it was a whole culture of guys that felt like completely emasculated. felt like they weren't worthy. And, and then a couple counselors that were just preaching at them, not saying, Hey, we're in this together or I've been there, but just saying you shouldn't do this. Right. And it was so bad. And I was, and like, I noticed a lot of the reduction addiction recovery systems were based on, on the same principle. It just reinforced shame. It might give a couple tools to help navigate that. But for me, it was awful. But then I met uh, Tony and Tony was the first person in my life that gave me permission to like be whoever I was, you know, like I, he was the first person I could be so radically honest with in terms of what I was dealing with or what I had done or what I was feeling. And there was never any sense from him that I was any less than, but it was just understanding. And, and he helped me separate the action of acting out from the identity of who I was and almost made it so that I had permission to act out and, and not react because of it, you know? And, and then, um, and then I just did a lot of internal work. There was a book that I read that really changed my life forever. It's called dark side of the light chasers by Debbie Ford. And that whole book is about learning how to love those unlovable parts of us, know how to reclaim our shadow and, and know how to embrace the fact that we're not perfect. And, and rather than resist those parts of us really to celebrate the wounded child inside all of us that, that caused us to wander act out. And by going through those processes, like I, I emerged on the other side, just so in love with me, so in love with all of me so in love with those parts of me that I thought were unlovable. And it was interesting because the moment I stopped resisting the addiction, the moment I stopped resisting this is the moment it went away, you know, because I wasn't putting energy into fighting it anymore. And I could talk about it honestly and authentically. And I remember I could be on stage and say, yeah, you know, I've struggled with this porn addiction and I didn't have any energy come up against it. Like I, I wasn't trying to hide anything. And because of that, all of a sudden, the desire, like the, the, the control completely changed. And, and it's interesting because I, I could look at porn after that and it was like, oh, that was interesting. I wonder what I was feeling. I wonder what I was needing. But I didn't make myself wrong. Prior to that, porn had this control over me where I couldn't help myself. And then I would beat myself after. After, it was like if I would act out, it was like, oh, that was interesting. But there wasn't like this emotional like um, beat up because of it, because I, I didn't feel like I, there was something wrong as a human being. Well, it's really interesting too, because I know when, um, when Gerald and I first met and started talking, he was really open with me about a lot of the struggles that he'd had, the things that he'd done wrong in his life, or, you know, I'm going to say wrong, all, all his journey. And what was so amazing was I loved him so much more for that. I respected him so much more for being able to embrace those parts of him, for being able to share those parts of him unashamedly. And it, it made me love him even more. 
And I, and I want to say that because that's always the fear. You know, we wear a mask because we worry if the other person knows who I really am, they won't love me anymore. And I don't know the easy way to say this, but you could be right. You know, you could be right that the person who fell in love with your mask won't love you without the mask. But what's the cost of continuing to wear the mask? Like I, like the woman that I was married to at the time, she, she was not, she had fallen in love with the mask wearing, you know, super righteous priesthood holder version of me that fit into the box that she felt comfortable with. This other version of me that was authentic me, it wasn't a match for her, right? And so we ended up getting divorced after a while. And and what a beautiful thing because now I can be with a partner that loves all of me, that I don't have to hide from, that I don't have to disguise myself in order to get approved. Like I don't feel like there's this is the beautiful thing about having gone through the shame journey and emerged on the other side, like really in love with myself is like, there's nothing from my past that I'm ashamed of. Now there's things I would have done different based on the perspective I have now, but it's just like, I made some really stupid, stupid choices, but on the other side, just like, I love who I am. I really want to make this distinction, Gerald, because you came to that before you had the healthy relationship, right? So the, the key here is developing this place of self-acceptance and self-love and giving ourselves grace for our decisions because then we can show up and, and, and like you're having this beautiful connection in your partnership, but you first loved you. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction because the danger of shame is even if we're behaving a certain way, like let's say we're in, in terms of our expectation of ourselves, we're behaving well. If we have a shame-based identity, we still go around saying, yeah, but if you knew me, you, re you really knew me, you couldn't love me. So we could be doing everything right and checking all the boxes and going, yeah, yeah, I'm behaving this way and I'm behaving this way and I'm behaving this way. But if the story about us is I am unworthy, I am unlovable, I am dark, I've screwed things up too much, then we, we can't even enjoy managing our life well because the shame story is still there. So we have to challenge the story. We have to challenge the, the foundation of the story that says, if I behave a certain way, I am bad. And, and take that away. And then, and then, because if we take that away, we can actually look at what is. And we can say, okay, I have certain behaviors that result in consequences in my life that don't feel very good. And we can start to address the actual behavior. We can address the underlying reason for the behavior. Because there's always reasons why we do the things that we do. And then we can start to have a healthy relationship to our sexuality, which yeah. I think is. It's so important. And I, I just want to say, Gerald has to go. Um, so Tony, I, I, I want to talk a lot more with you, but just wanted to let everybody out there know that Gerald Rogers is super amazing. <laughs> he is powerful. And I love him so much for him, for who he is. Like he is an awesome person. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, the final thing I just want to emphasize, you know, in this, in this journey, it's, um, it's really shifting our identities, right? Like I had to let go of the identity of the guy that had it all figured out, the good boy, which was the identity I tried to project to the world for so long. And I had to embrace this identity of this, of this 
awesome, incredible, extraordinary, badass, divine conduit of light that sometimes fucked up. <laughs> can we swear on this? I don't know. Well, whether you can or you can't, you just, just did. did. And I love but, you for but, everything. But this is this is what's beautiful. <laughs> I, I got to acknowledge like the just messy humanity of who I was and this complex reality of of being a multidimensional being, you know, rather than, and it gave me so much more breadth to all these other areas. And, and in embracing ourselves and self-love, I think is the antidote to shame period. And in that same space, self-love is also the antidote to lacking self-confidence. Self-love is also the antidote to codependent relationships. Self-love is also the antidote to, to, inauthenticity and all these other things like self-love is the master antidote for all these other elements. And so for everyone out there that's watching this, like the journey of learning to love you goes beyond loving the nice parts of you. The journey of loving you means digging into the shadow and learning how to love that broken, wounded, messy child that throws temper tantrums and and acts out and and sabotages you and learn to love them and when you do that then you'll have so much more bandwidth to create from the light yeah i i I call it like learning to love yourself in the hangover space because it's in the hangover space when we we start the shame cycle back up again it's in the after whatever acting out whether it's eating you know a, a dozen chocolate chip cookies or if it's you know, binging on Netflix all night, or if it's acting out sexually or whatever it is, like some form of, or, or anger or rage or some, some form of acting out because we have this buildup of emotion. And then we feel horrible about ourselves. And it's in that moment of the hangover that we have to learn to love that part of ourself. Yeah. It was so hated. It's so interesting, Tony, because, you know, I had a lot of sexual shame growing up. There were times I, you know, I hated my body. I couldn't even look in the mirror. I never wanted the lights on, you know, during sex, even having sex when I was married, I would feel bad afterwards. And I didn't know why. And I would get really nervous beforehand. Like if I knew my husband wanted to be intimate, I would get nervous about it. I'd have this bad feeling. And part of that was, you know, I, I, for me, I, I made, I had some sexual relations with people before I was married and that was bad. And I remember this lesson that I had in church and I've shared this with people. And, and I, I have to say this, I have to say that I really do think that, you know, the religion I grew up in it is has some really great components. I really do believe that the, the lady that taught this lesson had the best intentions and really loved and was trying to help these girls, but it was a horrible lesson. And I, I remember she had this piece of gum and she took it out and we were like 16, 17 years old. And she said, who wants a piece of gum? And of course, you know, we're 16, 17 years old. Yeah, sure. You know, we want to stick a gum in church. And then I remember her unwrapping it and she stuck it in her mouth and she chewed it up and then she spit it out in her hand. You could see the drool and the spit over it and her teeth marks. And she held it in her hand and she held it out to us. And she said, now who wants a piece of gum? And we're like, no, gross. And she said, that's, that's what it was like. That's what it's like if you have sex before you're married. And immediately at that time I hadn't had sex, but immediately I went back to when I was five years old and my, my backdoor neighbor said, Hey, come on over and play. And he was five too. And he said, I watched this movie, went down his bedroom. He said, I watched this movie and my parents watched, let's act it out. And he took off his clothes and he said, you take off your clothes. And 
And, um, you know, we kind of sat there and I mean, nothing really, I mean, we're five years old and, um, and, but I had all this shame around that. And immediately I saw that lesson. I'm like, well, I'm just this chewed up piece of gum. And it was interesting because doing a hypnosis session just two months ago with this world renowned hypnotist, and um, we, we went through these times in my life where I felt like I couldn't speak up or I felt like I wasn't worthy or, you know, these toxic times in my marriage or my relationships. And it all came back to subconsciously all came back to that lesson and that moment. And all those moments where I allowed myself to be treated less than or didn't stand up for myself was because I felt like that chewed up piece of gum, like, wow, nobody must want me. I'm just lucky to have anybody, you know? And, um, it was that's really, it's really, message. really interesting. Um, so that was, that's a little bit just of my, my journey and my story, but Tony, I'd love for you just to, to share. We've talked about a lot of things and we'd love for you just to share what's, what's on your heart now and what you feel like people need to really hear about this. There's two aspects of this. I, I would love to dive into in the time we have remaining. Um, it's so interesting because sexual curiosity is innate to being human. It's so human. It is why we exist. It's the nature of who we are. If we didn't have this, we wouldn't exist. It's so maddening to think that we've we've built all of these constructs around it. Now there's these these couple of extreme conversations, right? On one extreme side, you have this like lockdown shame, you know, like like uh, any sex, sexual exploration is this bad thing. And then on the other side, there's this extreme, you know, we get online and, and, you know, we, we look at porn and we look at these, the extreme sexual behavior. And I don't think that that's necessarily bringing the satisfaction that we want it to, because that's an extreme variation of it. And, you know, I had the opportunity to create a, a sexual education program called Fuel Her Fire with a world-renowned sex expert who studied the ancient secrets of, of Chinese sexuality. Um, with with some Chinese masters for like you know, forty years, and the the emperors in in old China they could have sex with whoever they wanted to. They ran the whole country, right? They ran the whole world basically at that point, and they didn't go out and have a lot of sex partners because they found that that was actually debilitating their energy and their strength. They found that by having a limited number of sex partners, where they developed a deep connective sexual relationship, it actually enhanced their strength. So there's well, I like, can, these- I can kind of relate to that. I remember I went through one point in my life where I was dating like four or five guys, same time after, right after, uh, you know, my husband and I were separated and divorced and it was really exhausting. So I think there's yeah. some way that I was like, I yeah. don't want to do this again. This is really exhausting. This is really tiring. And there were some gratifying things about it. Like when I get texts and people, oh, you're so gorgeous. I miss you so much. And it was like this moment of satisfaction. Then it was like all this pressure to show up for them and to be, you know, fully attentive. And I'm just like, okay, that's, that's too much. I want to focus my energy on moving my life forward. And yes, I want a partner. And I was so blessed to call in Gerald, but you know, it really, I think there's some wisdom to that. <laughs> so well, look, this is why I think that, I think that the antidote to this is connectedness to self. The antidote to shame is learning to love self. And it took me decades to learn this. And, 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 and some of it, some of the deeper healing happened in when I, you know, after this concussion that I experienced and I went and I did this, I was having like horrible anxiety attacks and PTSD after this car accident. And I went and, and nothing was working. And I went and I did um, some illegal 
Uh, it's now actually being tested by John Hopkins University, but at the time that I did it, it was an illegal therapy uh, where they use plant medicine, where they use psilocybin, um, which is the compound in magic mushrooms. And I went and did this therapy session, wh which, you know, with this sort of underground person that was willing to do this illegal therapy. And I had this experience of really deeply loving myself during facing my deepest, darkest shadows in that process and really like rewrote some, some, some things in me. And I never had an anxiety attack again. So there's like processes to learning to love yourself that you can do this. The antidote to the shame is to love yourself and to really do self-care when you find well, yourself acting out. How, but the how antidote, do you do that? How do you do that though? I mean, like here you are. I mean, the natural things like Gerald said, you've done something you feel shameful about. You want to punish yourself so that you don't do it again. And you want to hate yourself. You want to really feel that because if you really feel that guilt and that shame, then maybe you won't do it again. And that's what the people that shame you think. That's what the people that shame you teach. And it, it makes like the people in religion that use shame as a tactic, they get this short-term result and they get this long-term consequence that is the exact opposite of what they think that they're going to get. They get this modified behavior for a minute, but the person develops an identity that they're actually the bad thing. And so yeah. then they live it out. They embody whatever that is. So, so how do you let go of that though? How do you, well, I mean, I still am stuck in this. I keep going through these processes, like love myself, love myself. And again, you know, Gerald mentioned last night, there was something that happened, this trigger, found myself up in the middle of the night. I'm a bad person. I let people down all the time. I'm horrible. And, and, and these episodes get further and further apart. It's been a while since I've really stepped into that really dark place, but it's still there. And what do you, what do you do in those moments when you just feel like you're in your own personal hell? For me, um, I've had, there's several things that I've done. Um, one, the first thing I did was I had to create a connection point to go. I had to change the story about me and where my value came from. Because growing up, my value came from performance. You know, if I could be the class president, then I was somebody important and special. Or if I could make a million dollars, then I would finally be somebody that was important and special. Or if, if I, I could get somebody happy, that's mine. If I could, if I could just please this person, if this person would tell me that I'm a good person and that I'm worthy, then I must be worthy and must be a good person, right? Yeah. And all of that is external, right? All that is this external of, oh, if I can do these externals, then I'll finally be okay. And so we have to challenge the story we make up about ourselves because ultimately it's a story and it feels true, but it's not really true. It's not true that I have worth if I make a certain amount of money. That's just a feeling. That's just like my, my like wounded little kid that thinks that, you know, he has to have stuff in order for people to think he's cool. So we have to begin to chip away at that story. And really, the first step of it is to acknowledge it's just a story. So like I'll have this conversation with somebody and they'll go, well, I have to have my shit together in order to be enough. And, and, and I'll have this, we'll, we'll ask this question, is it true that you have to have your life together? Or you have to behave a certain way? Or you have to control your sexuality a certain way? Or you have to show up this way, look this way, act this way, have these possessions, have these success things, whatever it is. Is it true? Like gravity, right? If I drop my pen, it's going to fall, right? Gravity is true. But is it true that I have to have this in order to be valuable as a human being? Well, you're, to you're totally speaking to me now. And, and here's what came up for me last night. And I, I think I actually sent you a text at like one in the morning. <laughs> I was like, Tony, blah, 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 blah. Um, but what was coming up for me is I'm like, I don't have my shit together. How can I be a leader? 
How can I even pretend to help people when I am feeling like this bad person, when I still have triggers, when I'm so broken sometimes, how can I help other people? And, and, and you're right. Like there's some kind of psychology or part of me that says you have to be a certain way in order to, to be valuable in order to help people. It's so, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's the imposter syndrome that everybody has. It doesn't matter if you're like a CEO of a big company and you're like, oh, how can I be the CEO? I've made these mistakes. It doesn't matter if it's like you're just a parent or going, how can I be a parent of a child? If you were like, you know, you're wanting to, to get a job at the gas station and go, okay, well, how can I get a job at the gas station if I have these problems? It doesn't matter. It's the same story. So, so how, you do, how do you rewrite that? Say, Is it true? Is like, it can true? you know with certainty? Is it true? Like gravity, right? This pen is going to drop. Right, it's gravity. It works every single time. It's true. This right here. This is true. Is it true that if you have some breakdown in your life, that you are not valuable as a human being? Well, no. Okay. I mean, it's easy it's to say that. that. Look at other people and tell them they're valuable. But yes. yes. You're right. That's not true. It's not true. Okay. So, is it true for those of us that like teach on some level? Is it true? that I can't add value to someone else's life if I don't have my shit together. No, that's not. No, it's not because I add value to a lot of people's lives and my life has areas that are so messy. I have areas in my life that are a complete train wreck. And I have areas in my life where I have super high proficiency and I can serve and I can help and I can impact. And the truth of any teacher is this. If you're a real teacher, then you have proficiency. And you have some area where you're a student. And if you're a student, you're getting your ass kicked because that's the nature of being a student, both at the same time, always. And the minute that you don't have being a student, you are no longer a true teacher. You're a charlatan. Mm-hmm. You're just a bullshitter. Wow. So, the, so when you challenge the story, so in order to be a good husband, I can't ever see another woman who turns me on sexually like what kind of crazy expectation is that or in order like that's just not real that just sets someone up for disaster in order to be a good human being i can't ever have anxiety or depression or i can't ever have days when i don't want to live or i can't ever have days when i you know when i when i mess things up or when i sabotage myself or when i you know like my body hurts that's like how can we have this expectation and expect to get through life and enjoy our life. So, so what, we first challenge it. Is okay, it so we true? Challenge it. Is it true? So what if it's not true, then what? Okay, so then, so and this comes from, from the work. Is it, this is sort of an adaptation of the questions in the work by, um, <coughs> by Byron Katie. But it's like this question of, let's talk about sexual shame. Is it true that if I have acted out this way sexually, then I'm a bad person? Yes or no? True, like gravity. Is it true I'm a bad person because I engaged in some sort of sexual act? No, it's not true. Now, could I have hurt people with my sexuality, with how I engage? Like, so someone, you know, sexually abused another person, it could be destructive and hurtful, right? And I want to, I don't want to downplay that. That's awful and it's destructive. But even if we've done something destructive, does that mean we have no value as a human being? Mm. And I'm going to argue that 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 we as human beings have an innate value. We're a one of a kind human being on planet Earth with unique value and our behavior is not determined does not determine our worth Mm, so So the first question is you ask yourself is it true and the answer is no it's not true now does it feel true yes it feels true and that's the problem 
Oops, hold on. My screen changed. Let me make sure I'm still. Can you still see me? Yeah. So, if it, it, the problem is that it feels true, and and therefore we live our life as if it's true, and and if when we act out with shame, it feels shameful. Now, the second question to ask is, what would be possible if I had some other story going on? And when, as soon as we ask that question, we can step, we can distance ourselves from the situation a little bit and go, oh, if I had a different story going on, then I could look at my sexual behavior objectively. And I could go, you know, this sexual behavior here actually left me feeling really good and really connected to myself and really alive and really fulfilled. And this other sexual behavior left me feeling kind of hollow and weird. And I didn't want to look in the mirror and I didn't want to look at others. And I didn't want anyone to know about it. We can objectively look at it. Mm-hmm. And then we can say, what would be possible if I had a different story about myself? Well, for me, what was possible was I could actually look at my choices and not make them mean something about me. And then I could analyze them and go, wow, what did I get? What did I really get? Then I could get present in my sexual behavior before, during, and after some sort of sexual experience. And I could be present. Because when I wasn't present, when I hated myself, I would be disconnected when I would act out sexually. I'd get this adrenaline rush, be like, oh, and it would almost like I would like, almost kind of like get almost out of my body a little bit. And then I'd I wouldn't want to listen to my conscience. I wouldn't want to listen to myself. I I just want to act out sexually and get some kind of fix. And then I would act out in that way. And it was kind of a disconnected act out. And then afterwards, I would feel like shit. I'd have this Mm -hmm. empty hollow, like, whoa, I did it again. What's wrong with me? The difference is this. When we get connected to self and we make up a new story about ourselves, then all of a sudden we can engage in this behavior and we can be present in sort of the lead up the impulse, the feeling, the draw, and we can be really present to ourselves during sex or sexual experiences, whether it's with ourselves or with someone else or whatever it is. And then afterwards, we can be really present to like, hey, how did that make me feel? We can have the same experience with food. I think, I think that's true. And I, I actually taught intuitive eating for a long time and went around and, you know, taught people to pay attention to how do you feel after you eat something, not before or during, but how do you feel after? And oftentimes the guilt or the, the digestive issues weren't worth, you know, with eating that certain food. And when they started to associate that with those different things in their brain, it was, it was a no brainer. Literally they, they, the foods that they'd wanted before that weren't good for their body, they didn't want anymore. And, and I feel like it could be that way with sex and sexual shame. So I just wanted to kind of reiterate what you said. So the people that are listening, can write this down. Number one question to ask yourself is, is this true with a capital T? Is this true that me as a human being is not value or has no value because I've done this behavior? And the the answer is going to be no. Number two is, do I feel like I'm less valuable because I've done this? And the answer is probably going to be yes. Is that right? It's usually yes. It feels true. That's the problem with it. Does it feel true? And not, is it ultimately true, but does it feel true? And if it feels true, then to ask the third question is, is, is this, is this a feeling I want to have? Is this a story I want to keep recreating? And if the answer is no, then to look at that story, to look at what's causing those possibilities and have this more objective standpoint. And then I would say really loving yourself. And this was my big takeaway from this loving yourself is figuring out 
how you want to feel afterwards. You know, it's, it's, it's the actionary instead of the reactionary. And so often I think guilt and shame comes from when we react to a certain situation instead of, you know, act in alignment with what we really want. And, uh, you know, Tony, I, just a question here for you, because I, I overheard Gerald talking with somebody the other day who was, was struggling with some, some porn, pornography addictions and, and things. And, and I overheard him say, you know, when, when you let it go and stop making this behavior bad and stop making yourself bad for it, that's when it doesn't have any control over you. When you stop making sex bad or being sexual bad or looking at pornography bad, when you stop making that bad, then it has no control over you. It's it like, uh, I kind of look at it like fast food, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't make fast food bad, then you can get super present to the experience. And I probably shouldn't name the fast food restaurant, but the last several times I've eaten at this particular fast food restaurant, I have had diarrhea. So- <laughs> It's just like this thing. It's like, I just have this awareness that that particular food that I used to eat a lot of, if I go eat that food, then I go, then, then I have this reaction. And when we, when we can start to objectively look at the experience that way and really get connected to self, we come from a place of loving ourselves. We come from a place of going, I'm a one of a kind creation on this universe. I have my impulses. I have my desires. I have my curiosities. I want to experience this. And, 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 and I'm not going to shame myself. I'm just going to get present to how this makes me feel and how I experience this. The last thing I want to say, I know we've only got a couple minutes left on here, is that when we are in a relationship, there's a danger because we, we start to develop an expectation of our partner to fix our sexual need, to fix our sexual desire. And I think that this tends to lead to an abusive setup because rather than being an autonomous human being, we look at that other person and go, hey, you need to make me feel this way. You need to fix me. You need to cause this experience in me. And, and this happens a lot in partnerships where then the partner looks to the other person and they're like, you need to make me feel a certain way. This is your responsibility to make me feel this way. And it, that, that in and of itself, that expectation is an abusive approach to say, you have to do this sexual thing. Because I want to feel a certain way. Well, yeah, and, that's. And I really think we have to take back our autonomy in order to have a healthy partnership. Well, that was one of the points on this uh, Goop project or Goop Lab thing that I watched was that you know uh, they were teaching these women how to fulfill themselves sexually and how to masturbate, and they said it's not to replace a sexual partner; it's to know that you can have that um, fulfillment and you don't rely on somebody else for it. And you're right. Then it takes away that codependency. It takes away that unhealthy part of you that says, you have to do this for me. If you aren't filling this need for me, there's something wrong with you, right? There's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with our relationship. And um, so I really do agree with you. And, and Gerald said something really interesting to me the other day and I was talking with him and he said, you know, sometimes I'm going to have a sexual desire and sometimes you're going to have a sexual desire and sometimes they're going to align and sometimes they aren't. And it's okay if they aren't. And I want you to know, I give you permission to do whatever you need. If we aren't aligning at the time to be able to feel good. And I, I thought, well, that's really different than the way that I was taught or grew up. And I'm like, I think I like this. <laughs> so was really you know, look, it's a little, it's a bit threatening at times. And, and you, you have to set your agreements of what your agreements are within boundaries of your relationship. But I really think 
us reclaiming our autonomy to say, I have value. Why? Because I say so. And I have sexual desires and sexual needs. And I, this is like my expression. This is how I want to be. That is the healthiest for us in a partnership to then be able to come together and meet as whole people in a beautiful exchange. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So beautiful, Tony. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And um, how can people get a hold of you? I know you've just launched a podcast. If you've liked listening to Tony, if you uh, enjoyed his wisdom as much as I do, how can how can people find out more about you, Tony? How can they? Yeah, podcast just went live. It's called WTF: What the Flow. It's all about getting into the flow state. We talk about relationships, money, health, all kinds of things of being in the flow state. What the flow is the podcast. What the flow is that on iTunes? It's on iTunes and probably a bunch of other places. Okay. All right. Thanks. Love you all. We'll see you uh, next week here on Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Bye, everybody. for making us a part of your week. Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go make a difference and be sure to tune in again for the next show.